We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right. Welcome in to yet another BuzzBeat podcast. It's going to be another draft podcast. Once again, it's Brian. I'll be joined by my co-host, Lee. Richie is here as well doing some of the production. Unfortunately, Spencer, uh, a little busy tonight, so he could not swing it. We are also live currently now, so uh, we may try to take questions later on if you're able to stick with us through the end of this, but we're going to talk uh, in the same format as we have been the last couple of weeks. We're going to do three prospects, probably try to spend 15, 20 minutes, give or take on all three of these guys here. But we're going to today, we will do Ty Ty Washington. We'll do Malachi Branham from Ohio state. And we will also do Blake Wesley uh, from Notre Dame, three freshman guards and three guys that I, I'm a, I don't know about you, Lee, but I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk to these guys. I, I like all three of them to uh to varying degrees and wesley is someone that i covered closely uh in the acc this season so before we do that let's not do too much small talk but but lee how are you doing here tonight and are you ready uh as we chat on deadline day for ncaa prospects who were still on the draft and weren't sure if they wanted to come back to college or stay in the draft but we've gotten a flurry of decisions within the last 48 hours and seemingly the last 48 minutes too yeah, this is like, uh, you know, if um, if the lottery is kind of a, a major draft Twitter holiday, I think declare, you know, stay in or go back to school deadline is, is like like a mind, like an Earth Day or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you might get the day off school, you know, depending on kind of your jurisdiction. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, a little minor holiday we're working with here. I, I think um, I'm doing well. We both got our TBG. So we've got our little uh, evening kick. I think the only thing I would say before we dive in is feel free to agree or disagree with this, but this feels like the second most relevant group of prospects we've done for the Hornets in their range, along with the center 
like the three bigs we did, which was Duran, Kessler, or Duran, Kessler, and Williams. Mm-hmm. This is Branham, Washington, and Wesley, three freshman guards that may not all be available at 13 or 15, but could be, and certainly at least one or two of them likely will. Yeah, I agree with that. I would also say the one that we did that included Sohan, Tari Eason, Keegan Murray, like maybe some of those guys are a little bit of a stretch just because like Murray and Sohan are unlikely to be there by the time 13 rolls around. I would say all three of those were were pretty good places to sort of like work from. Again, we kind of wanted to go by this looking at position by position. So for lack of a better term, you know, true centers, wings, and and tonight we're going to get into... Uh, sort of like attacking guard, scoring guard, uh, some very obvious differences between the three. But uh, let's go ahead and jump in on Ty Ty Washington, freshman guard from Kentucky, combine measurements, height, uh, 6'2 and a quarter with a 6'8 wingspan, so almost plus six uh, in terms of wingspan. So you can see not that tall, but 6'8 wingspan is is rather good. For a guy like him that, you know, you're probably going to think about him guarding point guards or being a guy that chases guys off screens. And and I think he does a nice job sort of applying some of that length, which we can get into more later. But here's where I'd like to start with with Ty Ty. And for me, it's the I think it's kind of like the obvious thing to get into with him. We don't need to even like dance around the issue, but just like I think of this as like kind of the thing that to an extent he hangs his hat on. And it's the passing, it's the playmaking overall with, with Ty Ty, uh, the vision, the timing, the craft, the occasional bits of manipulation, like a no look, look away, skip pass to a weak side, weak side shooter in general, quite impressed with Ty Ty's uh, passing as far as the pick and roll goes. I don't think I would call him a station to station passer in, in Lee. I'm going to be very curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. I wouldn't call him station to station, but I kind of think he's at his best and the fines are most fluid when he's taking what the defense gives him, finding the gap in the coverage and delivering a pass. If the defense puts two on the ball or defense to the level, it's a pocket pass boom to the roller on the, you know, get it to them early um, or get it to them in a place where they can, uh, you know, kind of have like the highest probability of, of actually getting to the rim and scoring. I think he does a nice job sort of like syncing that up and timing that up. And again, just being quick when he has to with the ball, or if he has to hold on to it for another half second and then delivering it so they can actually get further downhill in the role. I think he does a nice job there. Defense puts two on the ball, but is in a bad position. Initially, you can see Ty Ty reject, get downhill um, and finishes, or if the backline defender has to slide over to help, He's going to make that that pass, that like diagonal read to the guy in the dunker spot. You know, it was often like Keon Brooks, it felt like. And this is exactly what happened during when the win over UNC when they blew out North Carolina out in Vegas early in the season. And I mean, Caleb Love is a, a really just a truly horrific on-ball pick-and-roll defender. But he just, the rejection, boom, right by Caleb Love, gets into the paint. Baycott out of position. Dawson Garcia has to step up and help. And it's just, yeah, right there, diagonal drop pass to Keon Brooks for the layup. Something to wonder, can he make enough jumpers to sustain and force defenses to fight over the screen? His feel for the game is pretty good, uh, and it's there. Like, as a pick-and-roll passer, he makes the reads, the passes are on time. It's just, can he 
can he, can he, again, does he, is he able to force the defense to sort of fight over as opposed to just going under the screen and taking away those, the sort of like more obvious uh, pick and roll passing reads. And we saw this season, like he made his share of pull up threes, including I was watching the South Carolina game this week, point uh, on ball defender went under the screen in without hesitation, just a, a pretty deep pull up three. It's like, he can't do it. Uh, again, I think that the pick and roll passing, it's the, I don't think this is like Sharif Cooper. In fact, I'm saying it's not like Sharif Cooper, who this incredible sort of like, you know, every can throw every pass and is super manipulative and despite his size can just sort of like take the top off of a defense with his passing. I don't think Washington is that, but I just think his savvy sort of like heady, smooth playmaking uh, with a ball screen or without a ball screen. And that's something we can get into a little bit more, but I, I come away pretty impressed with it. So Lee, where are you on tie tie and some of the sort of like on ball creation stuff? Yeah, that, that was, that was good stuff. BG. I, I think you hit on like the real nuance and like importance qualities that he has on the offensive end, just to give some more like very, you know, vanilla numbers here, you know, t- 12 and a half points per game, three and a half rebounds four assists per game and only one and a half turnovers. So a guy that, you know, didn't have the ball in his hands all the time because Severe Wheeler, the point guard, you know, the, a, a very college point guard, as I would put it, uh, for Kentucky had the ball in his hands a ton. But Ty Ty was like by far and away the secondary kind of playmaking ball handler for this team and obviously had stints for Kentucky when he was, you know, on the floor by himself as the primary guy. The, the things that pop out to me – oh, and then I'll, the other thing I was going to mention is just, you know, very vanilla stuff here, but 45% from the floor, 75% from the free throw line, and 35% from three. So, like, just kind of your, an, you know, average efficiency numbers, uh, but solid enough. He doesn't get to the line a ton, only about two attempts per game, which you would like to see a bit more, I think. And he shot a hundred, basically a hundred threes on the year and made 36. So, you know, right in that 35% range, the stuff that pops out for Ty Ty, it's the shooting off the dribble, deadly, a deadly guy. Not that he has these like super great deceleration stuff in isolation necessary, but I think you put it well where he really does just kind of like take, takes what is available to him. And for a 19 year old, point guard who was shouldered with a lot of scoring and playmaking responsibility, the kind of mature, like professional way he handles himself on the ball is really impressive. And and frankly, like separates himself uh, from some of his counterparts, I think, in that specific quality. So, so when you, when you combine this profile of, you know, six, three, six, four kind of can be a primary or a secondary ball handler, shoots the ball pretty well off the dribble, 63rd percentile on synergy, jump shots off the dribble, um, really good runner and floater numbers. So even though he's not getting to the line and, you know, only two dunks on the air, so there's not a guy that's necessarily going to kind of like rip through and then just challenge people at the rim, but he's got that counter. He does have, he does have like giant killer tools in the bag with the floater and the runner. So he's solid in the pick and roll, as you said. And the greatest thing about Ty Ty Washington, by far, you've already said it, but I'm going to reiterate it. It's his ability to make what look and seem like simple passes that he just consistently makes the right decision, whether that's a kick ahead in transition to one of his teammates 
for, for an advantage opportunity, whether that's a post entry pass or a dump down to Keon Brooks or to Shibwe, like, I think, you know, not to sound like the old guy here, but I think we've all been frustrated at times with like just the, the total non-existence of, of, of fundamental entry passes in today's <laughs> basketball and Ty Ty is, is fantastic at that. And then the extra passes, like those hockey assists and the way he just moves the ball. He's, he's, he's a diagnoser of defensive rotations. And I think that the, that processing is super important at the NBA level, particularly when you're talking about a guy on the downside that isn't a nuclear athlete, um, that isn't super twitchy, and that is a good but not great shooter. So he kind of needs that craft. He needs that cerebral mm-hmm. ability to process uh, what, what the defenses are throwing at him. Uh, the Kentucky offense um, was – I'm trying to think of a nice way to say. We it. say this every year with Kentucky prospects, dude. It's just like and it that. looks like it will be again next year, yeah, honestly, yeah. based on their roster. So I don't even need to go into it. I think anyone who cares enough about the NBA draft to listen to our podcast understands that the spacing and the flow of Kentucky's offense was hard to watch at times this year. So I think when he gets on an NBA floor with better spacing, with better players. Yeah, I think he can shine. And I just I just like the fact that you can steal minutes with him on the ball and he can and he can operate as a secondary guy very comfortably. So so that's that's kind of my my big yeah. my big pitch there, Brian. And I got a couple couple things to chime in on. Like you talked about the like the post entry stuff. And this is just like a random aside. But like Kentucky ran plenty of like, you know, after timeout design, like we are going to like punch it into Oscar Sheebway in the post. And we're putting Ty Ty, we're putting him in the game to throw the entry pass, right? Like he's going to set the cross, he's going to set the back screen or the cross screen to get Sheetway to the block. Then he's going to pop out. We're going to give him the ball. And then we're trusting him to throw it into the post, not Savier Wheeler or something like that. Like it's going to be Ty Ty to do that. You talked about Kentucky's offense. It's so funny. Like even when they have shooters, they have Davion Mance, they have Kellen Grady, these like big time you know, like experienced college snipers. And even then they're still playing often on the court with like two shooters at a time. Right. Cause you've got Xavier Willer who can't shoot from the point guard spot. Keon Brooks, who's an okay mid range shooter, but can shoot from three. And Oscar Shibway is great. He's just, uh, you know, like not a shooter either too. So uh, what I would say about Washington, cause you touched on some of the off the dribble stuff, very comfortable in the mid range, 46% shooting on long twos, according to Bart Torvik's uh, shot data this year with 83% of those makes coming unassisted, which is like a pretty, pretty big margin for a guy that's not just like a pure sort of like shot creator crossover, two dribble pull-ups, reject the screen crossover, one dribble left pull up, boom, like all these sort of like quick bang, bang moves to get to his pull-up game has a little tricks for inside the lane. You touched on some of the, what the giant killer stuff that he has, the runners, the floaters, the touch, uh, the body control uses his strength to push off and separate from the on ball defender. Uh, but then making sure to like pull up short of the big man charge defender in the lane. So he avoids the foul and the turnover. Uh, so just really nice sort of like mixing, you know, when to, to like lean and when to sort of pull back I'd add, I think he's pretty strong, despite the fact that I think he measured or he weighed probably like 195 at the combine or whatever. Like he looks skinny, not super duper skinny, but just like he can really like weaponize his strength and his like hand strikes and his upper body strikes at time. 
So not a huge like advantage creator, but has some tools to work with and has very good, what I would describe as like downhill shooting touch. And we're going to talk on about another guy, probably actually both guys uh, later in this pod that I think have sort of like comparable to an extent, like Malachi Branham's got very nice sort of like short mid range uh, shooting touch as well. And even in the Notre Dame game, he was, he was isolated versus Cormac Ryan, who if you don't know, is not like, you know, an A1 perimeter defender, but was one of the better perimeter guard defenders in the ACC this season. And like the little bit of space creation that Ty Ty had versus him to hit this like step back 18 footer, just gorgeous deceleration, crossover step back. And he can use that stuff to, to create space and shed defenders. So certainly has the rim pressure concerns, which you brought up. He feels like he's a little timid, just like fully turning the corner. Like sometimes when I watch him play, I'm like, could you just take one more dribble? Like it's, it feels often going to his left too. And, and sometimes he reminds me a little bit of Reese Beekman at Virginia, which is like, no, no, no. Just like, just go for it. And you'll probably draw a couple more fouls. Like, and, and sometimes you want him to shoot more too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I feel like sometimes in the situations he either takes like a tough kind of like contested shot that he doesn't need to, or he like passes back at, you know, he pivots and passes out of it or whatever, but drew just 2.9 fouls per 40 minutes this season. Um, you know, uh, not great to say the least 19% free throw attempt rate. Again, not great. Uh, real quickly here before we get to the defense, the second side passing, I really, really like. Like, I do think there's some in- intrigue to him as like a ball mover connector. You know, you just you just see like some of the stuff that like Derek White does for Boston's offense. And I'm not drawing, I'm not comparing those guys, but just sort of like to be the secondary playmaker that can still run a ball screen, but can also space and then you know quick catch and go and make a pass, make a quick decision and help build that advantage. Be an advantage multiplier, jab, drive, skip pass. So I really like that. Again, he brings some of the same sort of like decision-making in transition. I think his hit ahead passing is decent as well. Um, I'll pass it back to you. Would you like to talk about the shot or the defense here with Ty Ty Lee? You, you pushed it in either direction. Yeah. Let's hit on the defense real quick. So the way I've kind of seen and, and on, and to be, to be completely transparent, like I think I am still trying to figure out exactly, exactly what he is going to be as a defender. Um, because there's obvious like physical limitations, you know, I don't think he's going to be a guy that will necessarily be hunted as a lateral mover, but I do think he obviously kind of like lacks some of the physical profile to guard some of these like alpha wings. Clearly, you know, he's just going to be, he's just going to be out muscled by some of those guys. And I don't think he really like has a solution to that. Like, He's never going to be Kyle Lowry or Marcus Smart, you know, kind of like guarding up the lineup, I don't think, by any means. I do think he is a very serviceable kind of uh, like position guarder. You know, when he when he's guarding someone that is that has a similar offensive skill set, whether it's more kind of a catch-and-shoot shooter or even a guy that does like to get downhill a little bit, I like the way he slides. I like the way he moves. He plays without his hands. He's pretty instinctual kind of digging in on, on help. Like yes. that's where he really can make some plays. He can be pretty disruptive um, passing lanes, kind of stunting and getting into a passing lane or, or digging in on a driver and get his, getting his hand on the ball to create a turnover. And, and, and then there are on the flip side, there are times where the most bursty guards can get by him. Like 
like Kennedy Chandler comes to mind. He kind of blew by him a couple times in that SEC semifinal game. So I think where I'm landing on Ty Ty is like physical limitations as a defender, but can be a disruptive help defender, can be a cerebral team defender, and can mostly slide in front of like positioned players other than like the most elite bursty types that are difficult for anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's well said. I would add, since you touched on some of the on-ball stuff, which I I agree with, I'll just very quickly before we move on here. In terms of like the off-ball defense, I think his, his activity level is good. His quickness looks good. You mentioned his ability to dig. He's like very reactive, very uh, aggressive against post-ups, drives. You know, if there's a weird random cut, like he'll see it, he'll diagnose and, you know, he'll look this kind of like, you know, stick and throw his, stick his nose in and get his body in on the play and try to make something happen. Yeah. Like, Um, Brian, I'll have to stop the tape and be like, did he get his hand on another? Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Again, he, he just, he finds, again, he sort of like finds his ways in, into plays. And uh, I think his hand, I mean, part of that is like, he's got long arms and the hands are pretty, pretty quick. And you can see him just like knock, you know, guys thinking they're going to be able to get a shot up and he's able to, you know, knock the ball down or, Again, his ability to, to be disruptive, uh, what, 2.5% steal rate this season. Um, so, again, he does find some success uh, as, a, as, a, as, like, a dig guy. Probably overhelps a little bit. Like, we'll, we'll come too far off his man to, like, to try to, like, you know, dig and, and get a steal or something like that. Doesn't always make the right rotation. I think there were some obvious, like, sort of breakdowns where he's on the backside of the play. There's a drive. Kentucky's defense is scrambling or in rotation. And he kind of is like just swiveling around being like, okay, do I get to the corner? Do I get to the wing? Who do I go to? And it's this like, it, I don't know. It's this like Terry Rozier style. Like, where do I go? Where do I go? Where, who am I supposed to close out to? And all of a sudden the ball gets kicked out and it's like an open, you know, catch and shoot three. So I don't think that's like a huge deal with him. I think some of that stuff can just get, I can get ironed out honestly as well. Um, but it is something that does sort of like, there are these sort of like very, obvious breakdowns um at times and again i think he's active as a switch defender or in non-switch situations like when he has to like sag or hang for a second or two on an off-ball screen then recovers back out uh to his assignment it's a little messy it's a little frenetic but i just think you can just tighten and pull and and sort of like make that better with more reps and, and getting stronger um and getting in just like a an nba development system he is someone that that i like quite a bit i think you know, I do, as far as the fit goes with Charlotte, I worry a little bit about having like another guard that's not like a rim pressure guy. You know, there's that. But in some respects, he does fit the Charlotte system of everyone's a playmaker, swing it side to side, ball movement, pick and roll, which flows into a handoff, which flows into a second side pick and roll, which ghost screen. And just like you can see all these different ways that he could feature into that as the ghost screener or as the, the guy running the pick and roll or a bunch of, or spacing, you know, and attacking off the catch, whatever. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. But let's go ahead and move on to another prospect that I quite like a lot, and that's Malachi Branham from Ohio State, freshman wing. We talked about his teammate, EJ Lydell, uh, extensively in the other podcast that we recorded last weekend or earlier this week. I'm blanking on the dates a little bit there, but it was a couple days ago. At the Combine, Branham uh, measured 6'4", without shoes, 6'5 and a half, with shoes, 6'10", wingspan, which did not surprise if you've seen any of Brandon this season, you've seen him really like weaponize that length uh, of his to, to score, but just man, as far as offensive players go in this draft, just super skilled and a versatile shot maker. He is one of the most prolific scorers in the history of Ohio prep basketball, even before he got to Columbus. I'm going to start with, the off ball screen usage. And again, there's a lot of different ways to go into this um, and to some of like uh, what he did on the basketball too, but just his, I thought he did a, does a really nice job. It's pretty advanced for reading coverages and defenders. If you shoot the gap or try to cheat when he's coming off a pin down, he's going to fade. If you're chasing hard and trying to like stick with him and navigate that screen and fight around it, he's going to curl hard and very comfortable when he, when, curling those down screens or those pin downs and then using that to get into the lane. He's the and best he's, class of that. Yeah. He just is. Yeah. And once he starts attacking with a live dribble in the mid range, he's super good at shielding defenders, using his body, the jail dribbles to create those little pockets of space in areas to get his shot off. And he's got a bunch of different tricks in terms of shots that he can get to. So Lee, why don't you pick it up from there? Head in any direction you'd like to, with Branham, things that jumped out to you on the film. And uh, yeah, we can just pick it up from there. Yeah. So, so Malachi Brannon, um, obviously freshman at Ohio state, 13 and a half points per game, three and a half rebounds per game, two assists to, to 1.7 turnovers. Um, this guy, I would kind of describe him as like, he, he's not solely this, but he is kind of an analytical darling to a degree. I mean, this guy is just kind of unbelievably efficient 
you know, he's got the traditional splits. That's like damn near 50, 40, 90. Um, just a, just a little lower on the free throw. He's an 83% three point shoot or free throw shooter. There's a 41% three point shooter, not on massive volume, but good enough. Like he shot 93s on the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he's super efficient. He's six, five with the six ten wingspan that you spoke about. He is a master, a master at, reading the defensive coverages on the action that Ohio state would run with him. And I think that translates really, really well. Like when he, when, when a guy trails him, when his defender trails him, he's just automatically and instinctually curling. And once he curls and he's got you on his back, like you're just dead because he's big enough and strong enough to burrow his way to the rim he shot 72% at the rim this year, which is really impressive. Like, I wouldn't call him, again, like we use this word a lot, but I wouldn't call him necessarily a nuclear athlete, but he's a good athlete with a strong frame, with body control, and the ability to just kind of hang, absorb contact, finish, or get to like a little creative finish. He had 13 dunks on the year as well. So, like, when you look at him from an offensive, like, advanced numbers standpoint he's he's really impressive and and particularly is the most impressive in that in that vein of the, of the three guys we're going to talk about today basically a 60 percent true shooting percentage for branham so a couple other things stick out really good in the pick and roll you know it wasn't like a massive volume pick and roll runner but but was solidly efficient in it i think he'll be fine in that role at the nba not that you want this guy running you know 30 pick and rolls a game by any means but uh, the runner, the floater, the around the rim finishing is really good. The jumper off the dribble is really good. He's a he's a very solid catch and shoot three point shooter. He's a judicious three point shooter, I would say. Like he doesn't he doesn't necessarily hunt three point shots, but he finds them in transition. He finds them off you know Lydell getting double teamed and ball movement and things of that nature. And he seems to be you know diving in over him over the ca- past couple of weeks and seeing him during the season sound like he's a pretty timely shot maker too yes like, like the the kid definitely has something he definitely has a sense of when ohio state really needed him to pick up the the slack offensively and did a good job of like not not forcing the issue but but putting the pedal to the metal a little bit when he knew they needed him to score he's not like a blow by guy and he does – I do get a little nervous sometimes when I watch him and he's driving to the rim. I feel like he does lose the ball at times. He's not like a fantastic playmaker for others, although he does do a really good job of finding guys that are off-ball cutting towards the rim. Like I think he does a good job of finding those guys. I'm just not sure – and, Brian, you you might have some thoughts on this. I'm just not sure if he's the – like, like in compared to Ty Ty, like he's not necessarily the diagnoser of like backside defensive rotations that Ty Ty is. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it's not heinous either. Like he, he's a, he's a very, he's a fine decision maker. I wouldn't call him an advanced decision maker. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, actually I, I agree like quite completely. I think like his best, best work as like a passer were these sort of like design calls from Ohio State, often working in partnership with Lydell. Those guys, they really couldn't run like two-man actions with those guys enough. They just both can shoot. They both complemented one another rather well this season. But I would say like they put him in these looks and he can take what the defense offers. He can see the sort of like the, the on-ball coverage, what's happening with the dribble handoff, and then make the pass. 
And so it's those design dribble handoff actions with the roller and the passer. And in those looks, Ohio State is giving him a very like black and white scenario to read, right? Diagnose this and hopefully make the, the right play. There's going to be one player popping. There's going to be one player rolling. And so he's not having to check out the weak side coverages, right? It's just what's the, what's the, did they switch? Okay. Well, can I get busy versus the switch? Are they putting two on the ball? Okay, I'm going to throw it to, to EJ on the on the pop. Are we running roll roll replace action with Kyle Young coming up? And uh, you know, all the paint's getting crashed around Lydell on the dive. I'll throw it back out to the the pop man and, and keep this thing moving. So again, I think he does. That is a little bit more, maybe a little bit more station to station. And I can see some of the worries, I guess, because if if that's where he is right now, as like a, a playmaker for others, it's mostly fine. But then you add in this fact that he's not this sort of like, you know, incredible, you know, one-on-one breakdown player gets a ton of separation. Like we, we, he uses his incredible shooting touch. Some of the best like versatility in terms of shot making that you're going to see in this draft class. And yeah, he took like what, right? Six threes per 100 possessions this season. Like that's about to go up in the NBA, but there's just some of the stuff that he did either coming off down screens, coming off handoffs or, you know, empty side pick and roll actions with Lydell. That stuff's just going to get bumped out a few more feet at the next level. Right. And those are going to become pull up threes. And I think like, it's not a, a, it's not like an easy science to try to project, you know, shooting competency, onto the next level. Like we have these indicators, we have film, all these things we can look at, but like Branham is, you know, you can trust him as much as you can trust anyone else in this class in terms of just like the shot making abilities and like, yeah, will he be able to sort of like expand on that in the NBA? Um, When he is able to like slash and get downhill, I do think he uses nice patience. And again, the touch around the rim, um, is, is good. His ability to go reverse to avoid a rim protector. That's just one example. But just like, I kind of feel like the game, when he is able to get down there, that things do sort of like slow down a little bit for him. And he's not yeah. in a hurry to just get the ball up on the backboard and try to like get a foul or, or whatever. And I think these are the other areas where you see some of the passing flashes with him, like some heads up drop off passes to guys in the dunker spot or guys in the restricted area. And just in general too, like I like his ability to change direction after receiving a handoff, like the ability to split coverages when, when, uh, with like when a screen defender shows or hard hedges, just like has these little abilities to sort of like knife into the paint and get separation when the, when the situation presents itself, you know? Um, so I, I do like all of that. I also like some of the random movement. I just think he shows good off ball feel as like a random cutter. You know, uh, let's say Ohio State's playing against the zone defensive look. He's going to flow through it. Like, he's going to cut sideline to sideline. He's going to look for a pocket of space to slip into and score. And, again, as soon as he catches the ball and there already isn't a hand in his face, like, he can catch and shoot from anywhere, whether that's the slot, whether that's the wing, if that's the nail, if that's the elbow, like, boom, whatever, just, like, Turn and burn. Great um, awareness. Just like, like, yes. like not the otherworldly vision, but yeah. like, as you were saying, like as an off ball cutter, as a pin down screen mover, he's yeah. just got incredible offensive awareness on, on where his defender is and how to take advantage of that. Exactly. And, and last, last thing I would touch on this within that same, 
within that within that same note is also in transition. Just like you see some guys, and, and Brandon could try to do this too. Just like they get a defensive rebound, or defensive rebound happens, and they get an outlet pass, and they're in the you know there's they're in the open floor. Um, instead of just ripping and running, he'll give the ball up, but then will continue to sprint after giving it up, and he's going to look to score in those looks. A catch and shoot finish, or to, to to try to fill the lane and get to the rim. Lee, you mentioned he had twelve dunks this season, pretty good, while shooting great from every at just every level of the court. But I love I, I love that. I love the the the, the you know, he's cool with giving it up and then busting his ass down the court to try to get the ball back and get it in a high you know get it in an efficient scoring situation. So I love Branham's offense, and um, even though it's missing some pieces. I, I like what he brings. Lee, anything else on his offense, or would you like to maybe move over and talk about his defense or anything else related to Malachi? No, I mean, I think just on the offense, like, like beca- because of the fact that he is such a solid catch-and-shoot guy, like, I don't I, – I, I, the, the offensive concerns don't – mess me up too much. Like, yes, there's a little bit of the driving to the rim stuff that doesn't always look supernatural or fluid, but, 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 but the rim stuff, the runner, the floater stuff and the mid range and the ability to just, to just flow in an offensive action and, and be so cerebral and smart. I think alleviates yeah. a lot of that for me. Yeah. Agreed. Um, should just real quickly should mention too, like similar to Ty Ty, like, Definitely like like maybe a better sort of like offensive like blueprint to work within having a yeah. guy like Lydell to play off of. We mentioned the two man actions, but like and Jamari Wheeler was a nice guard who can shoot and, and create a little bit as well. But like, you know, I think they were kind of hoping for Michi Johnson to be more of a thing for them, like yeah. creating on the basketball. I just he was asked to do a lot for them offensively. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh. So I, I don't like and he was deadly efficient and very productive despite that low that he didn't have like a very obvious point guard table setter to just like make life easy for him. Anyways, continue. Well, it's, it's exactly right. And like, it wasn't that Ohio, like Ohio state needed both him and Lydell on the floor. Like with, if either one of those guys were on the bench, it just got really thin, really quick, particularly offensively. So I agree with that. And I love him overall as an offensive player. Uh, I love the size, the frame, the wingspan, all that. Like, he checks so many boxes. I do think I wish that he were a more disruptive defender than he is and that he was a bit better as a point of attack defender than he is. Like, I think he's fine. I don't think he's, like, a net negative defender by any means. I actually think he can be a pretty good team defender in the NBA. Like, He's just, he doesn't create a ton of disruption on the defensive end. And you would think that his kind of like offensive awareness that we've talked about and body control, you would think sometimes that would translate a bit more on the defensive end. Um, But I'm curious, I'm curious what you think about him on that end, Brian. Yeah. I mean, you would think with that wingspan that he could be more disruptive, you know, guarding on the perimeter or, at the point of attack. I think there are moments where he can be aggressive guarding the ball yeah. Again, at the point of attack in the pick and roll in isolation. Um, you know, I like how he will use his length in some of these situations at times. He actually can remind me a little bit of Blake Wesley, who we're going to discuss uh, in a matter of moments. I, I think the screen nav is okay 
but can definitely be beaten with com- combo moves, with shifty crossovers. And he can can use his length to recover, contest jumpers, get mm-hmm. back in the play. But, yeah, I mean, like, again, the selling point with him is is the offense. And as far as the off-ball defense goes, a couple other notes here I have. Uh, we'll drift some. We'll hang a little too loose one pass away on closeouts. He'll, he'll also play, you know, heads up ball, look to call out screens and sets. You can see him. Like, if you, even when you watch, you know, you're not in the building, but just watching him on tape, like, he is looking to call stuff out. And I do think, like, when he is engaged, he will try to, like, fight over and get around triple handoffs. It's just there's not a lot of payoff maybe right now, despite, uh, like, an okay activity level and the length. And, and that that is the one thing I do find myself – kind of being like, I, I just wish he gave a little bit more on the ball. And, and maybe he will, you know, maybe he will come into that. Like, that's certainly, like, I don't think the physical tools necessarily are the problem. But he, right, like you said, the selling points is offense. I think he, and last thing before we, we move on to our third and final freshman guard prospect here, I do, it's an interesting fit um, for the Hornets. I mean, I don't think he steps into the immediate ability to kind of marshal a second unit offense on the ball necessarily. Yeah. But he does check some boxes for the Hornets. Like I think he would fit into the offense, like just fine. Like he would be a great addition to kind of the, uh, well, granted, I guess we don't technically know what kind of offense we're going to be playing yet next year, but any sort of kind of free flowing open motion offense, he would be fantastic in that you would think he would play quite well off of Lamelo and our other and our other core guys, and and then he's also just like a bit more, you know, he's a bit beefier and bigger uh, mm-hmm. in our backcourt and and kind of wing depth as well. So like it's not perfect, but but I could see the front office. I could certainly see them considering him heavily if he's available. For sure. I mean, he would make someone like James Booknight more available as a trade chip, and mm-hmm. you know maybe he would be like a long term replacement for Terry Rozier. You know what I mean? Like you yep. can see him being yep. used in some of those movement things. All right. Let's flip to the last guy here. Um, really one of, I mean, I think everyone's pretty is, is a fan of this guy to a certain extent and just what a season it was hell of a year for Blake Wesley at Notre Dame, bringing that program back to relevancy um, measured at the combine height, six, three, six, four and a quarter in shoes. That's maybe like a little smaller than I thought you'd see him, but a wingspan of six, nine and a quarter, maybe like an inch less than what you would have thought, but certainly still, man, I mean, plus six and a quarter in terms of wingspan. So, I mean, no surprise if, you, if you've seen him play, he, he applies that length on both sides of the floor and just within the first three weeks of the season, two weeks of the season, it was obvious that like, Notre Dame had something special that they were adding to the mix in South Bend. And this is a guy that like was a like borderline top 100 recruit. Like I do think some of these guys, even like Jaquavion Smith at NC state, like how much did, did COVID like disrupt their evaluation periods as prospects? You know what I mean? Like, and they both committed pretty early too. Yes. Right? Very, yeah. very much so. And and again, those are, if, if Jaquavion Smith had stayed in the draft, both those guys are probably going in the top, 25 of the draft. And again, they were like fringe top 100 prospects heading into their freshman season, but he went for 21 points in the opener versus Cal state Northridge. And at the end of November, this was sort of like the welcome to the dance moment with Blake Wesley, but ACC big 10 challenge taking on Illinois on its home floor. And during that game, I think Wesley still, even though that game happened the first, you know, 
four weeks of the season, basically like was one of the best prospect games all year. His ability to attack drop coverage with Kofi Coburn, all of seven foot, 285 pounds waiting for him at the rim. It was, it was beautiful to watch. And it like, it knocked me on my ass watching that game because like I had to write about it the next day, the functional handle, the ability to get downhill time after time, just attacking Coburn in drop coverage. It was a clinic. And then when Coburn sat and they put Coleman Hawkins in and we're starting to guard more to the level, all of a sudden he's just turning the corner. Blake Wesley's just turning the corner and getting downhill, just nutty advantage creation. You know what I mean? And that's something that between him and a lot of the other guys in the draft and some of the guys we're talking about tonight, like does separate him. He is a creative ball handler and he is advanced in terms of some of his finishing maneuvers. There was just no looking back for him after that performance. Last thing I'll say, and then Lee, you go with this in any direction you'd like. He led the ACC in usage rate this season. No other high major uh, freshman posted a usage rate above 30% this year. In fact, if you go back to the 2007-2008 season, this is the Bartorvik database, only 17 high major freshmen have eclipsed 30% usage. That list includes Trey Young, RJ Barrett, Jalen Brown, Markel Fultz, and Colin Sexton. So yeah, it was he stayed busy from the jump and it never really stopped with Blake Wesley this season. Lee, get in here and talk about I, I know what is both of our one of our favorite prospects uh, in the draft cycle this year. I, I have I have completely fallen in love with Blake Leslie as a prospect. To get the ugly stuff out of the way first, like he was not an efficient basketball player this season. You yes. know, this is not a 50, this is not a Macal, Malachi Brandon like 50, 40, 90 season. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Brian already just told us partly why that is the case. That that is that is not to relieve or excuse the fact that he was a 30% three-point shooter uh on 178 attempts this year. Like that's not ideal, obviously. But the ball was in his hands basically to an historical level, which is what you just laid out. And the playmaking uh, responsibility on him was heavy. You know, Hub can playmake a little bit, but is more of kind of a pull-up shooter. Um, The guys he was surrounded by, you know, Wirtz, uh, Ryan, Goodwin, like these are all – uh, movement and catch and shoot shooters. Um, Notre Dame was very fun to watch offensively. The, the the point I'm trying to make is I do think you can chalk up some of the efficiency to uh, the usage rate, but then also to knock him fairly. Like I do think shot selection can be an issue at times too. Like he does have some of these, and, and I think it's a it's a pro and a con. Like he he is definitely kind of an irrational confidence guy like the way he carries himself is just like like he already thinks he's a star you know what I mean like I think he can be a star one day he already thinks he is and so he does have some of these kind of head scratcher pull up threes in terms of like game situation when it happens and you're like eh probably should have ran some offense there Blake you know what I mean (laughs) so but like mechanically I think he's going to be just fine as a shooter his off the dribble shooting is like not great, but a little bit better than some of his like normal traditional efficiency numbers. So I like that. But man, you when you when you combine the the athleticism with the just like 
violent and determined downhill driver. Like, yeah. I'm not sure I saw another guard, in, and there probably is one that I could think of, but just like it's a it's a short, short list of a guy who was willing to just attack his defender downhill over and over and over again. Like, there are multiple games. I mean, you already talked about the Illinois game, um, the Alabama game, just – the opposing defenders have got to just be like, my God, is this guy ever going to stop? Like, yeah, he just gets downhill, man. And he, like you said, he's a, he's an advanced dribbler. Um, he's, he can, he can absolutely blow by you. He had 18 dunks on the year, which is, which is a pretty big margin over both of the other two prospects we've talked about. He, he was not efficient at the rim, um, which I think is a fair criticism as, a, as, as athletic as he is, and as like poppy as he is, you would think he would finish at the rim better. And the flip side of kind of that determined doggedness, like downhill driver, like in the Duke game, I think he attacked Mark Williams like three or four two times too many. And yeah. it's like, dude, yeah. like yeah. throw a floater, shoot a pull up, like yeah. stop just throwing yourself at this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then the last couple things that I'll mention on him is like big time defensive anticipation. Notre Dame played a ton of zone this year. And when he was in the top of that two, three zone, he was incredibly disruptive, even in a situation where like, you don't necessarily traditionally think, Oh, like guards at the top of the two, three zone are going to be like super disruptive in the passing lanes. You, you know, it's kind of more thought of like more of like a conservative you know, protect the paint kind of, mm-hmm. kind of defense, but man, he, he shows, he shows some very unique defensive instincts. I think, I also think he has really good, just like solid defensive tools uh, in general, but you know, it's tough because I can't necessarily sit here and make like the most solid statistical or analytical case for Blake Wesley. All I can say is, you know, I've been watching basketball all my life and and this guy has something. And yeah. I think he's got obviously like it's an arduous uphill against the odds journey for any player to become a star in the NBA. And that's so, so hard to do. But like he's got a shot. Yeah. And because he has a shot, I just think he's one of the more elite prospects in this draft. Uh, you well, very well said should mention like ironically, two of the other like big rim pressure guys in the cl- this draft class were both in the ACC this season, Darion Sebron and Alondis Williams, just two other just yeah. relentless, just bowling ball downhill uh, guys that were never going to stop attacking. I think it's also worth mentioning too, like specific to Notre Dame. This was a veteran team that like pre- Princess Hub, who you mentioned, he was a three-year starter coming into this season. Now he got off to a terrible start, and that opened the door a little bit. Wesley was so good early, which we talked about. I still think it's pretty impressive that, like, not only did he put up this incredible usage rate and get to have this sort of, like, carte blanche with shot selection, but that, like, Mike Bray, who's been at Notre Dame for 20 years, and in a veteran team, Dane Goodwin, senior, Trey Ward, senior, Cormac Ryan, senior, uh, Paul Atkinson Jr. Senior, Princess Hub Senior, Nate Lazuski Senior. They were totally cool with letting this guy come in. Totally, you know, a guy that was 18 for most of the season, and and just do like give him give him the keys to the offense. Uh, you mentioned the zone. 
the Notre Dame had a like Hornet style of like, Oh God, our pick and roll defense is getting carved up. Like we just got to go zone. Like they just, Mike Bray was not going to hesitate. And they're a little bit smaller trying to protect some of their big guys, like small and then like a very tight rotation too. really only playing six or six and a half guys. So the zone was like kind of an important wrinkle for them. And yeah, Wesley, very disruptive at the top of that zone, his burst with the first step. And it's long, like at times the season, when he gets a smaller defender, he would just sort of like lunge around them. And just like, I'm definitely encouraged by his shot versatility, including the mid range pull up and uh, gobs and gobs and gobs of rim pressure. You mentioned some of the issues finishing at the rim. I do think that is noteworthy too, because like this Notre Dame team was littered with snipers, Dane Goodwin, Nate Lazuski. These are some of the best shooters in the country. Notre Dame, at one point this season was leading the nation in spot up efficiency. And like there's the, there's a a pull and you know, there's a tug and pull there because like Wesley is helping create great looks too. At the same point in time, like he was put in a situation where like they were running a ton of empty corner pick and roll. Like they, no one in the ACC spammed more continuity ball screen action that side to side motion, European pick and roll. And like they did that because once, Prentice Hub came online. They wanted to just go at you with dual pick and roll ball handlers. Wesley, Prentice Hub, occasionally Cormac Ryan, and certainly some Trey Wirtz too. So like he had like a pretty good setup, but it still took him having the skills to lean into that role and that team like buying into it and letting him have it. And they did. It was like a kind of like an underrated storyline of the season. Last thing that I would say about two two things I want to say about uh, Wesley. I think he does some of the little things well, using his wingspan for deflections. He moves well as a vertical cutter. Like when he, when if, if, if he sees five defend, if he's off the ball, he sees five defenders with their, with their backs turned in. He's sneaking along the baseline. He's, he's cutting in down from the slot. He's willing to make the extra pass. And he's even got like a, that subtle little leg kick at sometimes it wasn't so subtle. It was a little more uh, gratuitous, but like he's looking to draw the uh, like draw fouls on, on threes. You know what I mean? So like, he's got, he's just got, again, there's just a ton of like low hanging fruit that he does to create fouls, to create points where you're just, you're just like, how can this not work in the NBA? No doubt he has issues. Last thing I'm going to say here, uh, there are issues with decision-making. He will struggle to finish in the paint versus contact. But with that wingspan, that 6'10 wingspan, there's so much low-hanging fruit for him to pick at at both ends of the court. And he's got the right mentality to go after it, too. So anything else on Wesley here? Lee, before we tie a bow on this, um, I know you got to run. If there are a listener out there that would like to ask a question, I'm not sure if we have anyone here for that, but if you would like to, by all means, go ahead. Um, and if Lee has to jet, then I, I'd be happy to, to try and answer it myself. So, Lee, any final words on Wesley or any of these other prospects we discussed this evening? Like somebody who isn't as high on Blake Wesley as me, like has valid concern. And I think it's a really good point and good added context from you that like, not only did he not finish at the rim all that great, he was kind of in a situation where you would think that he would have had finished better around the rim. Not only because of his athleticism, but like you said, because of the kind of the, you know, advanced intelligent offense they played and the shooting that was around him. So like, that's totally fair. Um, and it's kind of like I said earlier, it's 
you know, sometimes you just, the way a player moves, like the way a prospect bends around defenders and, and like you said, like lunges past defenders, there's, there's just something you see in the way a basketball player moves on the floor that is unquantifiable that is special. And I think Blake Wesley's got a little bit of that. You know, I, I, I do think he is a little, like, like it's possible he comes to the NBA and is awesome right away. Like, I think that is a non-zero chance, but I do think he's a little bit more of a developmental prospect than the, probably these other two guys to a degree. Like, they're a little more ready-made. So the fit with the Hornets, it's interesting, and I would love if he ended up here. But I also know that he might not be a, a day-one ready guy to help win. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to drop off, boys. This was amazing, and I'll let you all get to maybe a couple questions. Sounds good. Lee, appreciate it. That was a lot of fun tonight. All right, boys. See ya. Yep. We do have one question that we can get to before we wrap up here, Brian. Let's do um, it. There's someone in here at Not That Heat. So go ahead and unmute yourself and uh, ask the question. So it seems like uh, Williams is pretty much the consensus uh, pick for us at 13. But do you foresee whoever we take at 13 or 15 actually seeing some floor time next year? Or is it going to be kind of a Kai Jones uh, Thor situation where they, they bounce back and forth between Greensboro and Charlotte? Or is he legit enough? I mean, some of the things I've seen people talking about him, he seems legit enough that he could see some pretty significant time for us next year. The Williams, that is. Yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's a good question. And like someone like Williams specifically, like I think there is a role for him, especially because Charlotte, to an extent, if they go Williams, like to an extent, they're drafting for need, which is something that I think can make. A lot of different people like a little like a little anxious, but look, they need they need someone that can help give them some rip protection that can be a pick and roll lob threat for Lamelo. Like he had, he offers a discrete set of skills that fit what Charlotte is looking for from a center position, which is a position group that's just like completely up in the air right now. So it's like like there look as it looks as though there are minutes available, and again, what he's offering makes it seem like, yeah, that he would be counted on, maybe not right away. And look, he would have a very defined role. Like, you know, he'd probably play 18 minutes a game, like something like that. And he's not going to touch the ball on offense unless it's like a lob. But I do think he can give them a little bit of what they're looking for from the center spot. So again, I, I do think and you got to mention, oh, so remember, like he's an older prospect too. So there's a, there's a sizable age gap between – Mark Williams and someone like Blake Wesley, you know? So I do think, yes, if Williams is one of the first two picks and assuming Charlotte keeps both of those, like, I just think, yeah, he's going to get budgeted into um, minutes at the center position early on. But like, look, some of that could depend on like what they envision with Kai Jones too. Like who is the name that you mentioned at the start of this? Like, you know, there's going to be competition for those minutes, but yes, I do think Williams would, uh, would see the floor, with some frequency early on in the, uh, the a rookie season, hypothetically with Charlotte. As always, I appreciate my co-host uh, for working with me um, and squeezing this one in after we've had a, a variety of draft coverage already the last couple of weeks. But I'm getting to leave town for a couple of days, so I was thrilled to get this one in and talk about a couple of prospects that I really like. So shout out to, as always, to Spencer, to Lee, 
Richie, please make sure to listen, share these podcasts and, you know, rate review. Um, it helps us out, makes us feel good. And we've got a couple more weeks for the draft. We're going to try to keep, keep cranking some of these out and maybe come up with a little bit, maybe try to get to like gamify it a little bit too. We've got some sort of more creative ideas in terms of format. So uh, thank you for listening in again. We really appreciate it. Um, everyone enjoy the month of June and yeah, we look forward to talking to you soon. Go Hornets.